You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. Listen to the Inside Carolina podcast sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, JohnnyTShirt.com. The 40 Club is back. It's been a few weeks. Joey Powell's with me. If you're watching on YouTube, uh, you need to be because we've got a former Tar Heel with us. I'm not going to spoil it, but if you're on YouTube, you recognize him. You have to. Looks the exact same that he looked. The day he walked on campus in Chapel Hill, a uh, little bit, little bit older, not much. Uh, if you're listening on iTunes, sort of rate us and review us and subscribe and all that. Do the same on YouTube. I'm gonna kick it to Joey Powell so he can introduce the latest Forty Club guest. So we're going back a little bit, and I'm actually happy to do it. We've been dealing with all these young guys recently, but now we're going back to one of my contemporaries. Which don't take that the wrong way, sir. Um, 2003 to 2006, this gentleman racked up 2,393 yards, 24 touchdowns. Uh, he actually had a 244-yard toting day against Wake Forest in 03. Clover, South Carolina, stand up for the franchise. Ronnie McGill. Ronnie, how are you, buddy? I am fantastic. And I do not look the same as when I got on there because I'm about uh, – 50 pounds every year. <laughs> hey, look, life happens, brother. Life, life, life happens to us. We, we, we can't really, what is it? Time is undefeated, right? So, um, most of the time. Yes. Yes. <laughs> look, man, we're glad you joined us. And, and I was, I was really, um, I was really appreciative one that you were willing to do this, but um, I was also, I want to give a, make sure I give a shout out to, uh, to Stacy for, for helping set this up from the, from the Patriots PR office. So, Big thanks to him for, for making this happen. I know those guys are getting absolutely beaten to death right now. So I'm, I'm glad he made time for us uh, back here in Chapel Hill. As am I. I, t- I told him. He asked me if I wanted to do it. I was like, Carolina, of course I want to. <laughs> well, thank you. So, so let's, let's jump right in, man. I mean, you know, guy coming from, from Clover, South Carolina, I know you had everything you needed back there. There was no reason for you to ever leave home. But what made you come to Chapel Hill? Well, it was – my recruiting process was – it was a little different because I, I played in the wing tee my, mm-hmm. since I was, I think, nine years old. So from Little League all the way up to high school, we, uh, the team that I played with basically tried to keep the same offense. And it, it was good for me when I was in Little League. But once I, got to, uh, once I got to high school, they wanted me to play quarterback so I can touch the ball every single play since we were running the option. So my first three years, I was a quarterback and a safety and I was getting recruited by some teams to play safety, but nobody at running back because nobody saw me play running back right. until my senior year. And once I moved back to, to running back is when I started getting a little bit more, um, a little bit more pub. But the only two schools that gave me offers before the very end of my senior year was App State and UNC. And I was kind of on the fence with UNC, and and I I had a I had an unofficial visit at NC State. <laughs> Spill the beans now. You can't just oh, yeah. tease us. Let us hear. I stopped it. I stopped in Chapel Hill because I was like, you know what, man, they've been recruiting me really, really hard. So let me just go in there and see if I see if I I like the the campus and stuff. I went there. We walked around forever. I was late to to NC State's of, uh, <laughs> official visit day. <laughs> so so then we came back and we stopped in Chapel Hill again. And I saw um, I saw one of the Carolina Blue fire trucks, and I was like, man, this place is lovely. <laughs> A fire so, truck is what got you to Chapel Hill. W- well, the, the fire truck and the, the Carolina Blue. Um, Street signs. I was like, I just something about it. I just just sure. fell in love with it. So we we came back through, and I forgot what we ate at. We did. I think we ate at Sutton's on the way there, but I can't remember where we ate on the way back. And I remember driving all the way back to to Clover. Uh, the, the guy was asking the the guy who was who was my little league football coach was basically like my father figure. 
Mm -hmm. he uh he was asking me how i liked it and i was like i really like chocolate hill so we go through the whole year and i didn't have very many offers and i went to an all-star game the the south carolina all-star game and i broke the russian record and as soon as i got home i had a bunch of offers and coach powell called me and he said remember who are the first d1 team to offer you but he didn't really have to tell me that because that was already something that I was thinking about. Like nobody else really wanted to give me offers to right. play running back. So it just, it, it just made it easy whenever it came time to, to make my decision of who was actually really loyal and yeah. who was I high up on that list for. And basically it was Chapel Hill and App State. And I just, App State was cool, but I fell in love with the actual town of Chapel Hill when I was there. It's just, it was like, like everybody says, everybody with the Patriots says the same thing. Like when you go to Chapel Hill and you visit, you just want to be there. So it was, it was hard to say no to that when, when it came time to make my decision. So what was the difference between Chapel Hill and Clover? <laughs> uh, how big is Chapel Hill? Like 50,000, <laughs> 60,000? I don't know. It depends, depends on if students right now, it ain't very big. <laughs> well, Whatever the whatever Chapel Hill is, you subtract two thousand, and that's the difference between that Clover. Clover's tiny; it's like the smallest. It's one. Of, it's it's so it's so small. Um, and then once you once I got out of Clover, I got to Chapel Hill. It's like it's it's just a different feel, diversity. Um, I've never really been into big cities, so being in that town that was all based on the college was was really good for me my brother went to usc i told him that was way too big i didn't i didn't like being in columbia he started off at clemson that was out in the middle of nowhere so that didn't get to me because that felt like clover too so chapel hill just kind of had everything that i was looking for big enough but not too big a lot of stuff to do around there so it was i just felt like it was a good fit for me i got you that was interesting. A couple of things. You said USC, and I was like, I don't remember him going to Southern California. <laughs> <laughs> and you mentioned Clemson, and uh, you're right. Clemson's still out in the middle of nowhere. It, it's in the middle of nowhere. So I took a, I took a visit there with, um, with what was it, like five of my friends. We just we got a van. They wanted me to come down. So I rented a van. We drove down. We were at a basketball game. Uh, we were like stretched out on the seats and one of them looked at me and was like, you ready to go? And I was like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> so we started walking around the campus. We got back in the van, started to drive back to Clover. We got back. We Nobody even mentioned like how Clemson was. And finally somebody was like, how did you like it? And I was like, I didn't really like it. <laughs> wow. wow, have times have changed. Cause I know, I know. It's, it's so different. And when that also leads to uh, one of the – one of the craziest stories was when we played Clemson my senior year, I think it was my senior year, and we were down there. I was, we were pregame, and I was standing about the 50-yard line with my back to Clemson, and I was a very, I was the farthest person behind everybody, and I was just watching everything go on. And I get a tap on my hip, and I was, I don't know who it is, so I'm not really, I'm not turning around because I'm not really paying attention to him. And, uh, I hear in, the, in my ears like one of the one of my worst decisions was making sure that you didn't come to Clemson. I turned around, it was it was Coach Bowden, and I was like, oh, that was that was actually kind of cool. But you missed oh, wow. me about four years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really, that's a that's a heck of a little side note. Yeah. Um, so you were one of the last, uh, I guess, one of the last stars. You weren't one of the last guys recruited, but you were one of the last stars to play for Coach Bunning before he left. Um, how much did you keep up with the program or how did you stay, you know, again, you, you left school just like everybody else. You went and got a job, became an adult, went out into the real world. How much attachment did you keep with the football program or with the school once Coach Bunning left? A ton. Well, a ton in different, in different areas. Um, I, I, I rehabbed a lot. So I talked to Scotty O who was our head, uh, well, he was the second in charge when I was there. So I talked to him for a pretty good amount. Um, I talked to a few of the coaches. When Fedora was there, I was, like, really, really hmm. getting close to the coaches. When Butch was there, it was it was terrible for the guys who didn't play in the league. And I don't know how many guys you've had on here who didn't play in the league, but it was it was, it was was really rough. Like, even, even for me, 
And I played four years. I started in all four years. I wasn't just started every single game, but I started in four years. I got invited to the combine. Mm-hmm. Um, I had teams who wanted me to to play, but my knee was just was just too too bad, so I couldn't do it. And it was just like we we weren't really a part of the program, but we were a part of the program. He was more interested in getting the guys around who right. were in the NFL who could basically like look good for the camera. Right. That's interesting. That's we've talked to a lot that maybe had a cup of coffee in the league or, or didn't play at all. And that's interesting because a lot, there's a lot of guys and I don't say this like, there's a lot of guys that think Butch was the greatest thing ever while they were there. Yes. But there's been a lot of people that have talked about, um, especially until really recently that, it wasn't really, really welcoming back. It was fragmented. They, yeah, yeah. They love him, which I could see why they love him because he was the guys who played for him. They, he, he gave them everything that they that they asked for and they wanted. But to me, and I'm not trying, to, I'm not trying mm-hmm. to be rude to Butch and actually, yeah. And I like his son. Like his, I talked to his son uh, for quite a while, but it was. There was one time that okay, so uh, another thing is I have a really really good friend who was my sweet mate uh, my freshman year when we were in Morrison South, mm-hmm. and he is he's basically one of my best friends. His name's Jack uh, Richmond. He lives. Is he in the one that got you to gig with uh, the Titans? He is actually the okay. one who who introduced me to the guy that got me to gig with with the Titans. Okay. So the man does his research. Small world. <laughs> so we we went back to Chapel Hill and it was it was me and him and I remember requesting some credentials for something. I forgot what it was, but I never I didn't get them. So I go to I go to the practice field to to try to go to to watch them practice. And I remember Coach Holiday coming over to me and I love Coach Holiday to, to death. Like he he's one of the people who absolutely looked out for me before I got there, when I got there, and after I got there. And he came over to me and just told me that the procedure was a little different now. Um, and they would let me, he was going to let me in because he, because me and him had been tight. So he let me into practice. But I remember thinking, like, man, that was kind of messed up. Like, because I see all these other guys who yeah. I remember not being starters yeah. and not really having roles, but ended up in the NFL for different reasons. And they were all out there. So then we get to the game. It's me and Jack sitting in the stands. And there was um, <clears throat> there was a girl who who we went to school with, and she asked us to sit beside her. So I was sitting beside her, and we were talking and talking. And somebody uh, somebody behind me recognized who I was, and he was like, why are you not on the sideline? And I was, was like, well, they don't let me down there. So, I mean, I can't really go down there if he doesn't want me down there. So the game's over, and I remember we parked in front of the stadium, so I just needed to walk back through the facility to get mm-hmm. back to our car. It was it was a nightmare. It was me and Jack trying to wow. talk to the security guy saying, hey, I'm not trying to come into the building. All I want to do is come from, from the field, from this point, from the tunnel, go through the hall, and then get into – go to my car. It's like I'm, I'm not planning on stopping anywhere. Yeah. So as he's talking to me, I see Larry Edwards walk behind him. And at this point, Larry, Larry was on the practice squad, I think, for the Colts. Mm-hmm. So he walks behind him and he's like, hey, man, what's up, man? And I'm like, nothing. I'm just trying to get to my car. <laughs> um, still can't do it. Security guy's like, well, I know who you are. Uh, you j- just recently played here, but it's just the rules. I can't let you through. So I'm like, okay. So about this time, Mr. James Falling comes yeah. through and he sees me and he's like oh, what are you doing out there oh he was my he was my uh my sponsor for my scholarship so we we have always we had always been really really tight so he grabbed me and brought me through and then i went out and i was standing in the lobby and i was just i was sitting there because uh somebody i forgot who it was i told him i would see them after the game so <laughs> I'm sitting there and Leah Murphy, I believe was at the desk. So I was talking to her and uh, coach Steinbacker comes through and asks me what I'm doing. And I'm like, I'm just sitting here. I'm just waiting because I can't go anywhere. And he kind of brings me through and then he introduces me to basically it shows me 
everybody who I remember. So Andre Williams, who was my big brother when I first got right. there. We go see um, Coach Holiday. Like I said, love the guy. It was it was a, a lot of a hassle yeah. just to get into the game and then get from one point of the stadium to the other to the other part of the stadium. So that's my experience with Butch was not very not very good at all. Now, when Fedora was there, I had decided that I wasn't going back to to Chapel Hill until Butch wasn't there. Right. Not because I don't like him, just because I felt it's like different. I was it was yeah, a I was, hassle. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm I'm if I just felt like I was asking for too much and I was trying not to ask for anything. So Fedora was there and I, I <laughs> I, the same thing happened. Like I'm sitting there, Coach Steinbecker comes in there again. He's like, "Oh, hey, hey, what are you doing?" I was like, "Oh, I'm just waiting for." I think it was Daryl uh, at the time. I was like, "I'm just waiting for Daryl because I'm gonna go up to video and I'm gonna see him for a second. And Coach was like, "Oh no, come on!" So he just grabs me and we just start walking through. He takes me up to the to the fourth floor. He's like, "This is Coach Fedora." I introduce myself to Coach Fedora. Coach Fedora is like come on, you got to go meet the guys. So he takes me into the offensive meeting room where the coaches are meeting and I meet all those guys. And then he takes me, uh, he's like, Andre, uh, no, he was like, Ronnie, have you seen this, the new stadium? I'm like, no. He was like, Andre, you want to give him a tour? So he takes me on a tour of everything new in the stadium. He gets me back to Daryl. He tells Daryl to take me up to the, uh, wow. to the press box. So we go up to the press box. We hang out in the press box for a long time, come back down. Coach Fedora was like, if, like you ever need anything, just let me know. So I I ended up keeping in touch with them a, a pretty good amount. So that was that was kind of it. And I haven't met I haven't met um uh Mac. So I just I I still I I'm hoping that everything's the same as it was when Fedora was there. Yeah. But I haven't been there in such a long not in such a long time, but I haven't been around everybody in such a long time that I'm not one hundred percent sure like what it's going to be. It's, it's not going to yeah. be like, I'm hoping that it's not going to be like Butch hoping it's going to be a little bit more open. Like the guys who, who have the UNC background and makes it feel like a family. Sure. I think that that's how it'll be. Now, what I find interesting about your comments is how it's different for everybody, depending on who you played for when you were yes. there. And I think <clears throat> from talking to guys like Denaris Cersei and, and Hakeem and, and all those guys, I know guys that were after you or a little bit after you, Mac has welcomed everybody in a lot and, and sort of made it more of a family. And it's, I've heard, you know, and I don't want to get into the, talking about, you know, about people that are gone, um, but I've heard a lot of similar stories that you've had. And that's unfortunate. And I believe that's why Mac Brown's trying to, to get it back to be the more family atmosphere or whatever. Um, and really pushing, like we talked about the 40 club stuff. And so I appreciate you sharing those stories. I mean, I think people need to hear them and see, because all that, that speaks to where this program, how rough it's been around this program yeah. for many, many years. And uh, maybe since Mac was here last. And, yeah. and so Maybe that'll change. I hope you can get up to Chapel Hill. It stinks we can't watch games in person and everybody can visit. But before I forget, and I, we still want to talk about some Carolina times because you had some great memories. But I said I was going to ask you this. <laughs> I need to know if I'm getting the the 2000, what, 2002, the five-year-ago Cam Newton, or am I getting Newton, last year's Cam Newton on my fantasy football team? Well, you know, that's a good question. Come on, man. <laughs> this is <laughs> for those of you listening and watching. The if we haven't let the cat out of the bag yet, Ronnie has been a scout for the New England Patriots for many, many years since he left Chapel Hill. And you know, of, of course, my esteemed co-host here uh, jumps in. The first thing we want to ask when we get is about his fantasy team. And the best part was, Ronnie, you said you got that question how many times today? I've gotten it six today. Wow. So a lot of people so, – so let me ask this. Are, are people selling or buying? They are buying. Everybody's buying Cam Newton right now. Okay. I could squash it if I wanted to or I could just let it live. I'm, I am going to Bill Belichick route, and I'm going to tell you, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not going to push it. He's spoken like a man who's been in that program for a while, isn't he? I, I, I got it. I, I, know, I know how to play it now. 
Well, no. let's, let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Tommy, you cool to go to the Patriots stuff, or do you want to get more about your fantasy team? No, we can do <laughs> I want to know how excited – I know how excited college players are to play. How excited are grown men to play pro football? Uh, what is that like yeah. in that locker room? It's, it's hit or miss. Um, and it just it, – it depends on, on what organization you're with. I think our organization, um, the players – normally come here they love football so they all get excited to play it's not always like that with everybody i've I've found that the that some of the guys are just so talented that they would be stupid not to take the money and play but it's not a love for the game and those players do not hang around new england very often so i don't see very many guys who aren't excited to go out and play just because that's not how the the organization was built that's not how that's not how bill created the that football environment you gotta love it to play you you have to love it it's a it's it's a it's a grind up there um and that's everywhere that's from once you get into the to the football side so the coaches players uh personnel like it's a it's a grind and if you don't have a passion for it then it'll it'll wear you out really quickly talk about that a little bit if if you can elaborate (laughs) for us i mean the, everything that anybody's ever heard of since Belichick got to New England was about what a winning culture it is and how it is very much, you know, this is our number one goal. And it, it seeps through every single part of that organization's DNA. I, you know, when, when you were in Chapel Hill, there wasn't really that sort of winning, you know, and, and again, I'm, I don't want to take you too far back to your, to your high school days, but, What's different about that culture versus anywhere else that you've been a part of? Egos get squashed really quickly up here. Mm-hmm. They, it's not that he's intentionally just trying to squash egos. Mm-hmm. He's just the way that he built the the, the program from uh, from when he first got here is the players basically set the culture now. So he doesn't have to he doesn't have to come in and say, "Hey, all we want to do is win." Now we have players that that's all they think of in high school you had the distractions of high school like yeah. going to classes um trying to be the cool kids uh trying to look good for the high school girls mm-hmm. and you get to college you got the same thing but you got a bigger name and a, a, a bigger platform so guys take advantage of that stuff more mm-hmm. once you get to new england all the other stuff doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is winning. And if you're not trying to win, then you you don't really have a, a place in the organization. So you have to put any any ego egotistical type things, mindsets that you bring in, that stuff that stuff gets squashed really quickly and it kinda it, it weeds out the people who actually are there to win and their main purpose is to win. And I found I found that out early, like early, early when I was there. My first, my give first us an example. Of, it doesn't have to be you. It can be somebody else, or you can you can protect the names for, for those <laughs> who need to be protected. But give us an, give give me a time and example. Uh, well, with with me, it was you know you, I was young. I was came from a, a good college and, and everything, and I thought like I knew everything, and I thought I was supposed to be somewhere that I, in my career where where I wasn't at a certain point and had to sit down and it wasn't with Bill, but it was, it was with my boss, Nick Casario and basically said, listen, that's not, that's not how this organization is. Like (laughs) there's a, there's a lot of people who want to get in these doors and there's a lot of people who want to be in your shoes. So you can either, you know, do it the right way, the way that we want it and do it the correct way. Or we just find somebody else that can do it for you. And it's it's really simple. I mean, we've we've had players like Albert Hainsworth, mm-hmm. um, like last year, we we had Michael Bennett last year, and it was the same thing. Like you get, we get, we could get players who are like Pro Bowlers and all, all world, this stuff, yeah. but it doesn't. At the end of the day, that doesn't really matter if you're not doing what was, if you're not putting team first and you're not doing what the team wants, you can be gone. And it's it's like that from at every point of the football side, which I think is absolutely amazing. 
because I've talked, I've talked to scouts, I've talked to coaches, and I've talked to players from different organizations who have more laid back uh, environments. But once they they say they get in there, and there's no, there's like the camaraderie that you that you build in college, you would think that it would be the same in some of those those uh, locker rooms that that have all the freedom. But the people said it's not. They said it's um, it's more clicky. Like the top dollar players, they hang out with the top dollar players. Hmm. The but in our locker room, it's been it's it's just it just seems different. Like everybody is 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 kind of on equal playing ground, or equal playing field. So you have very random friendships that get <laughs> built in our in our organization. It is it's it's extremely authentic. Um and it's it's weird to see it sometimes. And I don't know if you know very much about our players, but Matt Slater is he's been a captain since I got up there, or one of the captains since I got up there. He's been there since 2010, I think. Um very, very like doesn't cuss. Uh or if he does cuss, he cusses uh, very little. He's um He's been the leader of the team for years. He gives all of the, the pep talks, all of the speeches. His roommate for a whole bunch of years with Julian Edelman, who they seem like totally different people, but they absolutely love living together. Like they live, they, they stayed together in a house in Foxborough. And I told somebody, I was like, yeah, Julian and, and, um, and Slater, they live together. They've lived together for like five years, even after they both got contracts. And they were like, wow, that's, that's weird. They don't seem like they would hang out together. I was like, yeah, I know. It's just how it is. Like you it get, works. you get quarterbacks hanging out with the DBs, the DBs hanging out with the linemen. Like it's just, it, it's more cohesive. And like you said, authentic. I think the way that this locker room is, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a bunch of backstabbing and, and stuff, even on the coaches, personnel. Like I think it's just all the way through you get, you get, get what you get what you see not what you like you don't get something that that you think is is real and then you find out through the media that it was all fake so how much of that is a function of winning i mean you can have a coach come in and try to change the culture or whatever if he hadn't won squat he's not going to buy get buy-in from college kids much less guys making millions of dollars right. so how much does belichick and his crowd and you guys get respect because we, you can always say, you see that right there? That, that's <laughs> what we do works. You know, how, that, that how doesn't, much? yeah, that, that doesn't work for everybody though. Like we can't, we can't get every player just because we start flashing rings at them. Some mm -hmm. players still don't want that. They still don't want the the discipline, the the accountability. They, they still like, they would still prefer, to get the money and have the fun like so it really is that motivational piece like it's it's how they're wired yes what i'm hearing you say 100 percent um and when when he first got here he it's not like he came and he was a winning coach mm -hmm. it's just i think he he just instilled it in the players and it just now he it just carries i think it just carries through it's fascinating because yeah, even when you get to that level of football, some guys are just in it for the money. <laughs> and uh, there's a lot of money. I certainly yeah. understand that. But, you know, then you got guys that will sacrifice some money to win. And and, winning, uh, winning a Super Bowl ring as a, as a scout, and I cannot even imagine what it was like as a player, is, the, is one of the best feelings in the world. And – you get it to with some of these teams, they win one and they're like, Oh, you know, like I'm happy if we win another one. Great. We, <laughs> we won that first Super Bowl, And I remember walking through the locker room and everybody was so excited. Everybody was so excited. And then we do the parade and then we have, um, we have a day where the, where the, the players are doing the exit interviews. And I remember all the players was like, all right, time to get to work and win another one. We lost the Super Bowl. Right. And the very next day, there are players like there there are players in there working out. It's like, all right, we lost it. We got to win the next one. And they're not. They don't think of most of our players. We you don't think about winning the Super Bowl, but 
that's the ultimate goal is to win the Super Bowl. And we've had players say, if you're not trying to win the Super Bowl, then what are you here for? Like, what are you, what are you playing for? Go ahead. I was going to ask the dumb question. Say, how, how many rings do you actually have, Ronnie? Uh, I got three Super Bowl rings and two participation rings, which I was told those don't count, but I still count them. So. <laughs> <laughs> you got to the party. <laughs> got to the party, but didn't, didn't, quite, uh, didn't quite finish the job. So I don't oh – God, we could have a great off the air, off the record. But how, how does a guy like Antonio Brown get brought in? Given what uh, we've talked about now – Granted, all I know about him is what I see in the media. Most people are generally very different from that, but it didn't work out. So, how does that happen? I think I think the 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 perception is a little bit a little bit wrong about Coach Belichick, and I don't want to speak for him because that's one of the things you're not that we do. We you you don't speak for somebody else. You let them speak for themselves. But I want to take up for him because I think the perception is that he does not like people who do not act the way that he wants them to act, which is true for most people. I mean, you don't want somebody in your house that's not going to follow your house rules. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of the, just kind of the thing. But his main, his main goal is once you're in that building, if you can respect the way that the Patriots organization is ran, then you have a chance. Mm-hmm. And if you, you get, you get some players that screwed up off the field, but he, he lets you know, like same way he let us know, like what you do off the field is a representation of the Patriots. But as long as you do it in a respectful manner and handle your business in a respectful way, then we'll give you an opportunity. So that's kind of how Antonio got in. So he gives you an opportunity until you give him a reason not to give you an opportunity. Yes. He's a, he's the same with every every person that that i've seen from the lowest the lowest person and on our side so like i said the football operations the personnel coaching and um and players the lowest person is a scouting assistant and that person gets the same fairness as tom brady would get you do a good job you don't get a pat on the back you get a good job do something do just yeah. now that that's, that's your standard, basically. You got to keep performing to that standard. If you don't do a good job, then you will definitely hear about it. As Tommy, you I should. Wanna, I want right. to ask one more NFL question, if that's cool, before we no, get No, you go ahead. It's fascinating. It, it sounds kind of like how Dean Smith ran his program. It's basketball. I was getting ready to get to that. Like, I think there's a lot of similarity in kind of the standard of the expectations that coaches set, just hearing Ronnie sit here and talk about Belichick. Um, Ronnie, I'm going to ask you kind of a, this may seem like a very low hanging fruit question, but I think for some of our listeners and viewers that may not know, what does your day or, or, or week as a scout look like? Like, what do you actually do for the Patriots? Well, right now I'm at, I'm working from home. Uh, we'll be back in the building, um, Saturday. And then that is when the fun starts. So I get in every morning, um, before COVID I was getting in six o'clock maybe get a little bit of a workout in start my day and we basically have so there's there's two sides to to personnel Um, there's two different types of scouts there's the college scouts and and pro scouts the college scouts are the guys who they live on a road Um, if you have a guy in the southeast who covers all of the Carolinas Florida Georgia uh, those areas, then he probably lived down there somewhere. So that guy's day and year is totally different than mine. Mm-hmm. I go into the office every day, and it starts early in the morning, um, and I have eight teams, I think, eight teams that I'm responsible for. So if you play one of those teams, then my day is totally different than if we don't play that team. So when we play, when we play one of the teams that I have, uh, I start off my day by coming in, reading up on the team, listening to interviews, um, just all t- all types of good stuff, trying to get some information. And then I spend a week writing, watching and writing reports on all these guys. And then after that, I put this package together for the coaches that ends up being about 50 pages. And then after that, I normally, in a normal year, 
I would travel to the game. So if we were playing, we're playing Miami uh, on Sunday, but if this was week, if we actually played Miami in week two and I had Miami, I would go watch Miami play week one Mm. and then come back. And that's really when the coaches are on to the team that I'm covering. So then through the whole week, I'm basically just keeping the coaches updated with everything that happens with Miami. So an injury happens, let them know. Um, anything that that might involve the game, just let them know. Uh, right. And I just keep basically keep track all the way through game week. And then once the game happens, I watch and hope we win. So they give me some kind of credit for it or something. <laughs> <laughs> and I hope everything that I said is true because if it's not true, then I'll definitely hear about it <laughs> the Monday afterwards. So, yeah, you're going to lie. That yeah. run heavy. That run heavy. <laughs> throw it 60 times. You're like, uh-oh. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it actually does happen sometimes. It, it, it's, it's rare that it's like something major that everybody notices is always something really small, like a, like a tight end. A, line. a gadget play. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. or it's just, it's just something very random. And I was – I kept telling – it was like four years ago, I think it was, teams would not signal before they played us for some for, – for our – I mean – For some reasons. reasons. But, yeah, for some reasons. <laughs> So they would not signal before they play this. And I kept telling the coach, I was like, listen, man, I've watched them for like a couple games. Not signaling. And then sure enough, every time we played, they would signal. And I, I thought and you I were making it up the whole time. I would always have to explain. I was like, listen, like, I'm not kidding. Like, I'm going to these games. And finally, another another one of the scouts said the same thing. He's like, it's weird. He's like, team not signaling. And all of a sudden, they just start signaling. <laughs> Oh, that's great yeah. stories. So, <laughs> how compare? And we did. And Cersei talked about this a little bit. Compare the difference in preparation for college versus pro it, it, from your perspective. Oh, it's it is it's a different ball game because as I was I always tell the rookies like they come in and they they're kind of used to the the college setup where you. Football, it, you're a student athlete, but you're an athlete student. Like mm-hmm. football is is still priority number one, but you still have classes, you still have study hall, you still have all that other stuff. So your 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 day can your football study can can get a little behind. In the NFL, you are getting paid to be the best possible player that you can be, and the way that you prepare is part of that. Um, you can you can normally tell like the the guys and the coaches who aren't as worried about that as the ones who are. So from my side, I'm not going to say it from from Cersei's side or the player side because I don't I'm not a player, so I can't really speak on that. But there there's so much that that goes into our side preparing for games, which I don't think, I don't think the players really know it. Like coach Belichick has, he's, a, he has to be a week ahead because once the game's over, it's a, they're short weeks. So he has to be ready for the next week. Our stuff is two weeks ahead and we have to kind of be three weeks ahead. And there's just, we worry. Now we worry about, not just the the players in this or not just the scheme, but the players within the scheme in college. I remember when we were game planning, it was just, this is what they do. This is what they don't do. These are some of the players that we worry about. They go play in the NFL. You worry about this player. This is his role. This is what he does. This is what he doesn't do. If they go in this situation, this is the player. This is what he does. This is what they do. If it's this player plus this player, this is what they do. So it's just, it's, it's more, it's way more mental than I thought it was, was going to mm. be like, like mental starts taking over the physical. Cause you know, everybody in the league's fast, you know, everybody right. in the league's pretty strong. Everybody's getting it's, paid. Right. Everybody's getting paid. You yeah. might not be getting paid the same amount, but everybody's getting paid to do a job. The stuff that they, that I think that some players don't realize is you're getting paid that, that other stuff, like the, to knowing right. knowing the breakdowns of the team, knowing knowing the skill sets of the players, knowing 
what the keys are, making sure that you're locked in on all of the keys. And you got to be so locked in for that whole week. And then it's just a quick turnaround because the coaches do a lot of the studying, but they're, they're busy now too because that's literally their job is to always be studying this film and to always be worrying. They're not, they're not worrying about recruiting. They're not going out and doing any of that stuff. So their main focus is to trying to get ready for the team. So when they give you the information and they start moving on to the next team because they have such a short time to, to worry about it, they're expecting the players to take what they give them and what we give them and prepare themselves as well. Mm. How much, how much coaching's done on Sunday? <laughs> uh, I, well, I don't know about other teams, but the Patriots is a lot. Mm. And there's a, there's a ton during the, during the week. Like there's, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I can handle it. If I was playing, it's just right. <laughs> it is. It is. It's so. It's so much stuff. But they like, always I, talk about you know you go play on game day. Yeah, you just we coach yeah. you up before. But it's. Let me ask one question, and it's not. It's clearly not um, coming from a place of fandom because this guy <laughs> is. We've got a bunch of Northeast people that live near us, and they all love the Patriots. And the Patriots seem to always win, so everybody hates the Patriots if you're not a <laughs> Patriots fan. But my question is this. What, what type – how was it like to be around a guy like Tom Brady? And I know that's a low-hanging fruit question or whatever, but, I mean, the dude, like, is one of the greatest. It was weird. It was really weird when I, when I first met him. Um, because he was a lot nicer than what I was expecting. <laughs> and as he did, there you go. Because he looks yeah, I, like he could be a little bit aloof. And he probably he, has valid reasons to be right. there. He's, he's extremely competitive. That's what I did find out. I yeah. did figure out about him. He wants to win every single play of the year. From practice number one all the way through the end of the season. So yeah. that, was, that was kind of the thing that, that struck me as crazy. Or not as crazy, but as like I didn't realize that. Like you just you know that he's competitive, but he is uber competitive. It is mm-hmm. it is crazy. Like we we had a we had a uh, blue and white scrimmage the year that he got suspended for the first four games, and because he wasn't gonna <laughs> he wasn't gonna be starting, he was uh, he was taking. Um, he was taking reps with the number twos, and they decided to take Gronk away from him so he couldn't throw the ball to Gronk. <laughs> and Jimmy was the quarterback for the other team. And I think they were up. Tom's team was up 24 to 7 and a half or something like that. And mind you, this is just a regular right, squad right. screen. <laughs> the players are in the corner, and the coaches are talking to them just about, like, what they're doing and what they're not doing right. Tom's not with them. He walks over there, and he looks like he is as mad as can be. <laughs> He's, he looks like it's the Super Bowl. And he says, we're only up by three scores. Now it's time to put our foot on the next and finish this thing. It's like Thomas nothing said, on the line. <laughs> right. It's like, it's like, this is an inner right? squad, man. <laughs> oh, and I was a, like, that guy is – man, he is – That's a different breed, He's man. competitive. He, well, he's that's, how, competitive. that's how all the goats are, man. That's how Jordan is. And Jordan yeah. Kobe is the same way. We met we met Kobe last year. He uh he came into the into the stadium. That's another thing. Bill really likes like you said, he he will branch out different ways to to get like perspectives of winning. So, well it helps motivate too, right? You're yeah. learning how the different geniuses that have that competitive gene, like he he probably is smart enough to figure out a way to take stuff from them. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean it's, it just seems like he 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 really enjoys that type of stuff. So we got Kobe in, and it was it's about the same as Tom. He is he was uh, as competitive as can be on basketball. Yeah, I don't think people sitting, realize yeah. that. I don't no, think people no. realize the level of competitive. It's like everybody wants to win, right? There's a different level, and yeah. people <laughs> do not grasp it unless you have opportunities like yourself to be around it and see it up close. He, Kobe told us the story. We were like, how do, how do you handle new players coming into the building or new good players? It was like, you and Ron Artest were completely different. And we were calling him Artest, not Metal World Peace. <laughs> uh, he was in he His story was when they signed Ron, uh, 
it, I think it was a day off or something. And Ron was in there practicing when he walks in, when, when Kobe gets there. And Kobe walks in and Ron Artest is like, hey, man, it's 6 o'clock. It's the day off. Like, why are you here? He was like, because I knew you were going to be here. Like, you can't be here and I'm not here. It's like, like you can't get better it, and just... I'm not getting better. He was like, wow. that's just that's not going to happen. So he said he, like, Ron Artest was kind of joking and stuff. And he said, listen, the we brought you in here to win. If you want to do that, then we're going to be friends. But if you don't want to win, then you're going to hate me. That was it. That's it. He said after after that, Ron Artest was like, okay, well, I guess that's what it is. And the funny thing is up. that Artest played with Jordan too. So, like, that's the guy that he's <laughs> – He's played with both of the goats, right? Yep. God. That's how you get somebody like Pippen – or not Pippen, Dennis Rodman to ball out and win and rings. Yeah. Yep. Because those probably, guys – Yep. Yeah. If you can – if you get them, get them around the, the right people and not the coaches but around the right people, then you can really see where that competitiveness is going to be. It uh, Tom's competitiveness would drag – would it, you either followed him or you didn't. And if you didn't, you were one of the few people who didn't. So you got left way behind. So you can, it, it brings, it definitely does bring it out of people. So Ronnie, I want to try to be respectful of your time and I appreciate you giving us the time that you've given us today. Uh, let's turn our, let's kind of refocus towards the present, I guess, of what's happening in Chapel Hill. What do you think about the current state of the program? I mean, you were a guy that played in between, Mac 1.0 and then the current you know, edition <laughs> that we've got. What, what do you think, you know, as a former player, but now a guy that doesn't have a ton of time to, to watch college football, but what, what are your thoughts about where the program is right now, where it's headed? Love it. Absolutely love it. So I, I, I my sister said, I was, she was like, everybody who goes to Chapel Hill just becomes like this Chapel Hill nut. <laughs> like you can't, like you can't get it out of you. I was like, that is, that's one hundred percent correct. So when I, when I graduated, um, I actually came back to Chapel Hill for a little bit, and then I, I ended up leaving again, got the job at the Titans. I, since I left, every Saturday I wear a different UNC shirt, and everybody around me just knows that it's going to happen. So during those during those rough years, it was it was it was quite tough <laughs> shirts because I just I took a lot of crap. Right. But the, the, the last year was, I, it, it was, it was really, it was, re, re, I was, I was like, on cloud nine. Mm-hmm. Cause Sam was, when, when Sam was, when Sam signed and, and they were like, Oh, this uh, freshman's supposed to start. And I was going around, I was telling people, I was like, Oh wait, like I've been hearing so much good stuff about him. Like <laughs> he's going to be, he's going to be so amazing. He's going to rip it up. I was like, wait till he gets in there. Just wait till he gets in there. And, and everybody was kind of doubting it. Sure. And then now, or at the, by the end of the season, everybody was like, "Yeah, oh, you know what, man? I, I might pick UNC this week. I might pick UNC this week." So it's it's been it's been really good for me. I got um, I have a UNC sticker on my door. I have a UNC helmet, nope, uh, jersey or something in my locker. UNC football in my locker. I have a UNC ring in my locker. I have my diploma in, or not in my locker in my office. I have my diploma in my office. And on my name tag outside my door, I have the state of North Carolina. It's Carolina blue. It has a Tar Heel. There you go. Where Chapel Hill is. I guess like I've I've been riding really hot these last two years. They're like you're that guy. He's like, oh, <laughs> I'm that guy. I probably get on people's nerves talking about Chapel Hill. <laughs> last question, and we'll let you get out of here because we've we've held you for a long time. But you played in in Chapel Hill when it was a little rough time as far as wins and losses. Um, some big moments. Um, you had some in, a, a fair amount of injuries those middle two years. But how do you a remember that time? If you can look back at your younger self, how do you remember that time? And then how do you want Carolina fans to sort of like remember you? Because there's a, quite a few fans that have tried to block those years out, and I don't think you can. I don't think you can block any bad years out and then appreciate the good years. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I do know what you mean. It's sometimes it's a little because people ask me like um, people who I don't know. I, they ask me where I went to school, and I tell them I played at I played at uh, Carolina, the real Carolina, and they 
they're like, oh, what years did you play for Mac? And I'm like, no, no. Like, did you play for Butch? I'm like, no, I played for Coach Biden. Like, we didn't, we didn't win very much, but I absolutely loved the experience. One, Coach Button was I, – I still talk to Coach Button. I go see him every every summer. I go stay at his, his uh, awesome. lake house up in Maine. It was rough, but I don't think I would change it for the world. It's like somebody asked me uh, if I could go back, would I go to a different school? It's like maybe to win a couple more games, but at the end I don't think – like I don't think that really mattered to me at, at at that stage in my life. And I know thinking back on it, it still wouldn't change because some of my best friends are people from Chapel Hill. I love the experience there. Um, not winning did suck, but like the experience that I had there was, I was unmatched. And we were actually able to be student athletes. Like Coach Button wanted us to win, but he also wanted us to, to really appreciate UNC because he went there so yeah. he had like he had that family value to it yeah I also thought I also think that the discipline that he tried to instill in us has carried through and I that's something I I didn't really appreciate what him and coach Holiday, coach Webster and all those coaches were doing back then but then once I was a senior like I really really like mm. it it really hit me um we had some issues with, with coach when I was a freshman and for his exit interview to have as many players as that was there to see him get carried off the field mm-hmm. against state, um, seeing players cry when he would, when, when he told us he was fired, like all that stuff that, that probably means more to me now than winning a couple more games. Cause it was just, I think some guys go to some of these bigger schools or yeah. not bigger schools, but like some of those schools that were just predominantly football winning teams. And they have a love for the school because they played there and they won games. But I don't see them going back there just to hang out and, you know, walk around the grounds that they used to walk around unless they want to get a pat on the back because somebody recognizes them. Right. And right. as for, for me, I just <clears> – <throat> When I think, I just, I, I hope people remember me as one, always smiling, mm-hmm. never, never mad. Um, and I just, I told everybody, I, I gave, I gave UNC everything I had on the field. I gave them both my shoulders, my hips, my knees. <laughs> Physically, I, yeah. Yeah. I hope people, I hope people remember that. And as a, as a physical runner, that was really the thing that I always wanted, wanted people to know that I was just, if it was a yard, I was going to go get that yard, regardless of how many people were in front of me. Um, and I would, I would give anything up to to get that yard. I, that's all I want to do. I just, I just want people to to remember me as the, as one of the running backs who actually just left it all out there. Man, that is what this Forty Club podcast is all about, right there, Ronnie. Uh, the, the last few minutes there, you talking about Carolina, what you gave, and and how you want to be thought of. You know, it's um, we've talked to a lot of folks doing this stuff. I've talked to a ton of former guys over the years, and rarely do I come away with, and I'm not blowing smoke, but rarely, rarely do I come away with that this, this guy gets it, right? Yeah. This guy 100% gets what it means to be a Tar Heel, and I think you pretty much laid it out right there. Um, front and center for everybody here. And I, I appreciate you taking time to join it. And And – and you're right. You always smile. My daughter just woke up. I can <laughs> Well, and that's and look, we've had more babies on this show than, than anybody. But I just want to say I appreciate it. Appreciate you taking the time to join us. Yeah, I'm man. glad. I'm glad y'all had me on here. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna wrap the show. I'm gonna wrap the show right fast. It's the Inside Carolina podcast, sponsored by Johnny T-shirt, JohnnyT-shirt.com. You've been listening uh, to Joey Powell, Tommy Ashley, and hey. Ronnie McGill. Bring her on. Get get your babies on. Go, give her the cameo, man. If we uh. Girl, what are you doing? She's at the store. Uh huh. Uh. Look look at there. <laughs> that she's a, she's a future Tar Heel unless good. Un, unless she gets a scholarship somewhere else. If she goes to UNC, I told her I'll pay for it. <laughs> See, look at there. <laughs> she can't go to Raleigh. She can't go to NC State. How no, you doing? she cannot go there. 
Well, again, appreciate it. Um, I'm going to wrap this one, and then we're going to talk for just one more second. But I appreciate you doing it, Joey Powell. Appreciate you getting Ronnie on. It's been great. Rate us, review us, iTunes, Spotify, all that stuff. Subscribe on YouTube. It's worth it. <laughs> Everybody take it easy. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Many thanks to Ronnie McGill for joining us on the 40 Club Podcast. Before we get any deeper into the show, I want to take time to talk about Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com uh, right fast. Of course, Inside Carolina sponsors and sponsors of this wonderful podcast and locally owned and operated right there on Franklin Street. You need to support the local guys. They're the ones who uh, keep Carolina and keep Chapel Hill what it is. Like Ronnie McGill talked about, Chapel Hill is a special place. Businesses like Johnny T-Shirt make it that way. Inside Carolina Premium subscribers, of course, get 10% off every order, and they're constantly having sales. Carolina gear, Carolina football gear. Football season is upon us. You can't go to the games yet, but you can tailgate in your driveway, and you need the Carolina gear, and they've got everything you need. Does Johnny T-Shirt have a blue tr- uh, a blue fire truck? Do they have one? If not, I bet they could get one. I bet you we'd get a Johnny T-shirt sticker on a blue fire truck if we tried hard enough. All of the above. But, yeah, man, I, I think Johnny T-shirt. Oh, you talking about for children? Yeah, I'm not yeah. thinking they do. But look, I feel like they could, I, Google Ronnie is your friend. What, Ronnie said that's what made him come to Chapel Hill. I'm thinking, you know, all the people that, that get stuff from, from Johnny T because they have so much, surely they have a Carolina blue fire truck. And if not, I bet they could get one. So as we uh, wrap this show, enjoy talking and, and talking about Ronnie and, you know, many thanks for him coming on this podcast. I know you worked that out with Patriots PR. Their season starts. And by the time you guys yeah. listen to this podcast, um, it'll be a week after we recorded. We recorded on, I guess, it's September 10th. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so he is literally walking up to the doorstep of the NFL season starting and he took time to join the Inside Carolina podcast. What a great guy, though. I mean, he said it at the end there. He just He's always smiling. And, and rarely is somebody always smiling but is always really happy. And I think he's, he seems to be one of the happier people I've ever met. The funny thing was, is my recollection of him as a player was that the dude was always, always seemed to be smiling, always seemed to be jovial, always seemed to be upbeat. And, you know, when you're playing your senior year, on a team that's getting skull dragged right and left for a coach that got fired midway through the season. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that says a lot about your character as a person. And just to, to your point, like God just seems to enjoy life. And yeah, he's turned that into a really long career with the Patriots. I thought it was really cool. And I, I think you asked him some really good questions about that, but I thought it was really cool to hear him just talk about how unique and really DNA embedded the culture of winning is there and just like the whole thing around because you always read it right you, we've all read it like you said it's we get what the media feeds us but to hear it from somebody inside of there and him be really unfiltered about it, I thought that was cool yeah it definitely was and look I didn't say it to him but I probably should have I'm not a Patriots fan and never have been but part of the problem with the Patriots Patriots is they always seem to be winning mm-hmm. and I think that's relevant to Carolina it's relevant to a school down the road I mean, people don't like teams that consistently win, but there is a reason, yeah. whether it's the Patriots or Carolina, especially on the basketball court, win. It's because it is ingrained. And to hear him talk about that, and when you're dealing with people that make millions of dollars and, you know, some are in it for the money, 
Yeah. yeah, some are in it for winning. It's fascinating to hear him talk about it from an insider's perspective. Um, you know, all we do is watch pro sports on TV. We get a we got a glimpse into the window yeah. of one of the best programs in sport. It has been for well over a decade. I think something else that he mentioned too, and I didn't want to belabor it while we had Ronnie here. But, you know, I think the fan perception, and I'm, I'm, I'm painting with generalization paintbrushes here. I get that. But I think the fan perception about Butch was that he was like the, the benevolent leader and that Larry Fedora maybe sometimes have been, was too detached and was kind of aloof a little bit. But Ronnie's story about his experience with those guys was the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's, you know, again, to your point that you said while we were talking to him, yeah, it's it's weird when you hear what what actual people's individual experience has been and how it might paint a little different color on what you think you knew about something. Absolutely, I mean, people, we're all human beings, and everybody's different. But not only that, perception is not always the same. Even if you have a certain perception, two different sure. people can have a different perception, but two different people can also have a very different reality yes. in dealing with certain people. And, and look, I've heard the stories he's talking about. I've heard the stories that Larry Fedora was, a, was you know, not interested in, in having the family together and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I've heard Butch, but to hear it from a guy that was in it, and he's right. It, I think there may be sometimes two different levels of interest in former guys. I do yeah. not think it's like that now. And that's what we talked about there, talking about Mac Brown. That's the beauty of it, right? Yeah. And that, but for, for Carolina fans listening to this, you just assume that just because somebody played at Carolina, they played a sport at Carolina, that it's such a, it's a big family, big, happy family. And it's not that way. Yeah. It makes Carolina basketball's family, for the most part, it's not 100% even there, but to realize how that has been a thing, you know, that every former Carolina player on the basketball side feels like they're part of that. Basketball has been able to do it, but football's got a ways to go. Mike Brown's doing his best to get it done. You know what it made me think about, too, when he was telling those stories about, you know, Corey Holiday and Rick Steinbacher? You know, I, I think people have their opinions about Corey and Rick, and I think, you know, I, I've always had good experiences interacting with them, but, you know, people have their own opinions. But it also makes you wonder what kind of shambles would the football Carolina family be in without some stalwarts like that that have been around the whole time to keep, a, you know, to extend a hand literally and figuratively to a guy like Ronnie McGill who, again, like he said, gave his body to this university during some seasons that weren't great for four years and then you know a a matter of months later he's not even recognized by the new staff I mean it makes you wonder what the the dynamic between those different administrations would be were it not for some guys like Corey Holiday and and Rick Steinbacher yep I mean Carolina is a unique place in that you have those type situations and yeah it's good and bad you know and it may be different in different places but you know, for to have those ties to it's always nice to be able to see somebody you recognize, yeah. right? Whether it's us walking face. around, yeah, and it always makes it welcoming. Um, you know, what one last thing before we get out of here is one thing that I really heard in that podcast, and this is what people forget too. And I'm not preaching, um, but it's something that all of us really forget is to hear him talk about John Bunning and, yeah. and hear how that all went down now. There's not a person listening to this podcast that doesn't think Bunning needed to be let go when he was let go. In fact, I'd wager 75% of the people listening think he needed to be let go way before that. Yeah. And I don't necessarily disagree, but still, McGill humanized it and humanized the experience from a guy who played for the man. And that's, we forget that as a society that. You know, I hear all the time, just play. You know, I don't want to hear your politics. Just play. I don't want to hear about your problems. Just play. I don't want – these folks are – it's real life. We're and humans, thought, man. Yep, At the end of the day, I, we're all humans. And I thought Ronnie really, really illustrated that from a guy that, like you said, gave both shoulders a couple knees and probably got a, a win per injury. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, and he has That's a no, terrible stat to keep, but I think you're right. <laughs> and he has no regrets. I, I mean, it was, it's a great, one of, one of my favorite to do. Um, I, I love these 40 club podcasts to hearing these old stories. Um, you just can't, you, you don't know what it's like unless you're in it. And I think these podcasts allow us and allow um, our listeners and watchers to get in it a little bit. Hope so. That's, uh, you know, we, one of the things that you and I've always said is that, you know, these guys can tell the story better than any of us ever could. And so hopefully we're giving them an, a platform to do that an avenue for our listeners and subscribers to hear it. Yep. Indeed. It's been the 40 club podcast. I'm Tommy Ashley. That's Joey Powell, Johnny t-shirt, the sponsor, rate us, review us. We say it all the time. It's important that you take time to rate us and review us on iTunes or however you get your podcast and subscribe on this YouTube channel. Look, there's probably 30 or 40 videos um, of the weeks leading up to games here on this Inside Carolina channel. You subscribe and it comes right to your doorstep, right to your inbox almost. Do it. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Joey. Yeah, man. See y'all. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. What if I told you imaginary friends are real? This is just so exciting. This Friday, get ready for the movie event with the greatest cast you've ever imagined. Showtime. Ryan Reynolds, John Krasinski, Kaylee Fleming, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Louis Gossett Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, George Clooney, Maya Rudolph, Bradley Cooper, Sebastian Maniscalco, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Aquafina, Keegan-Michael Key, and Steve Carell. I need to throw up or I need a snack. It's one of the two. Gross. If. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Written and directed by John Krasinski.